0: Feels like progress. The Chime Credit bill, Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members of FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com/disclosures for details.
2: Welcome to the podcast, everybody. We were just chatting. First order of business, Intellectual property it's worth <laughs> a lot of money. Brandon Sanderson broke Kickstarter records. If you don't know him, he's an author, you really like him. I have yeah, not read him. It's my favorite author. He is first off a machine. I just he churned out four secret books while he was writing other books in the last two years yep. and then revealed that on Kickstarter in a very well marketed way. I was watching it and it had the it had the end wait. there's more feel. Where he grabs one stack of things, he's like, "And I wrote this over the pandemic." I was like, "That's amazing! Wow!" And then he grabs another stack, and then I wrote this after. And he does it four times. Yeah, he's uh, the opposite of George R. R. Martin. Yes, he just can't stop making books. Yes. So we we just chatted briefly, but I guess I think most people, myself included, underestimate the the value of intellectual property, and I mean that in dollar terms. And when but when I think about it, it makes sense because. A lot of our economy today that we play in YouTube and all this is this attention economy. Can you get, maintain, and hold people's attention? And I've sat in the sauna with you and my brother and heard you guys, like I've mostly closed my ears because I didn't want to hear, just talk about these books. Yeah. And he was only paid $10 from each of you for that book, except the amount of attention of yours that he captured and then sustained and maintained was far under, like a movie that you might spend $16 to see and then immediately forget and not care about. Oh, it. no, for sure. I mean, I read I read the book, which takes a lot longer than watching
3: yep. a movie, and then I wanted to talk about the book, and then mm-hmm. I found out that all his books are interconnected, so I read every single book, and mm-hmm. then I was Googling, when does the next book come yep. out? What are the theories on the book? No, he, I, he has developed so much goodwill with me in terms of money I've spent on him, joy
2: I've gotten out of it, yeah. that I immediately joined the Kickstarter. So I, I was thinking about this, because people ask, like, why, you know how come video courses cost this much and books cost this much? I think there's something interesting going on, which is authors are not capturing the amount of value that they're creating because of the we are so used to paying ten dollars for a book. Yeah. Well, but it's like a loss. It's not a loss leader. It's a front end underpay to get paid heavy. Yeah. On the back end for like you spent ten dollars and in an exchange got forty hours or more of enjoyment. Now when I release a movie, that's what a I was going to video say.
3: game no, the the you're authors in. used to be I think underpaid relative to joy they created. And then recently we've seen with Marvel and Harry Potter and Arcane Urgent and whatever Dazi, yeah. that yeah, Brandon Sanderson will have a movie, TV show, video game and they'll all smash immediately mm-hmm. because of how his fans are just in love with his characters and his stories and
2: his universes. Yeah. And it's, it's, I guess, it's not a perfect representation because there's definitely times where you can uh, not provide value and capture more, and there's times where you can provide a ton of value and have no route to capture any of it. Well, but, for context,
3: for people who don't know, he made he raised twenty five million dollars in less than a week. Yeah, so that's that's so the twenty six now. About. Just so you know, and by the time this goes up, it'll probably be it'll clear thirty. Yeah, so that's the that's the scale he's at. You know, and Kickstarter has had all sorts of other. You know, they've had tech stuff, they've had at home appliance stuff, they've had things that are. They span
2: the gamut and he's crushed everything. It's the number one Kickstarter by a long shot. Yeah, it's just an interesting way to do the math and think about it because, you know, we saw the same thing with Critical Role, which is like people spent maybe $5 a month on their Twitch to watch at least like 12 hours of footage of their games, you know, once a week, or they didn't pay anything on YouTube. And they watched it for free, yeah. So again,
3: initial cost
2: versus joy out. Critical Mm -hmm. Role built a lot of goodwill. Yes, yes. Uh, Just fascinating to think about that, that... I think intellectual property, when you create a really good story at the price that we've priced it in society, you're over-delivering for the listener, which means that, yeah, they will come back and buy whatever the heck you have next. Also, I think just another good data point for pursuing your passions
3: and for the value of story. Because I think, you know, a lot of people, oh, the way to make money is make an NFT or the way to make Mm -hmm. money is to make an app or I have to learn how to code. And that's, you know, those are all, those all work. But if you're really good at, anything you're passionate about, there's also a lot of money in it. You know, especially with the the internet replacing the need for traditional publishers or traditional yeah. gatekeepers. You know, if you can write a good story, you don't need a movie theater or a movie uh, distributor distributor to buy your script. Yeah. You don't need a, a production a producer company. Or producer, you, yeah. can, you can just go make it on YouTube and if people love it, then you're going to be a smash hit. You know what yeah. I mean? Then you can do it with self-publishing a book. You can do it with I mean, who, who was that guy that made his own video game that was really simple? But Stardew Valley? There you go, Stardew not Valley. not that
2: simple, but it's a great game, yeah.
3: Well, he smashed it, right? Yeah. Like, we've removed the need to go through someone else and ask permission to make your creative work. Mm-hmm. And so that that's just getting more
2: and more... Awesome. I love it. Common, yeah. Yeah. So we don't need to belabor that, because that's been happening for a long time, but I just thought it was interesting, this particular guy. Uh, I'm excited because
3: he's my favorite author <laughs> and now he's got four new books coming out.
2: Yes. So saw this totally uh, hard pivot, <laughs> but I saw this more than once. Um, and I saw this on Hermosi, but I've, I've seen it uh, in other places. And this is one thing that I disagree with, which is this idea that you will only be criticized by people doing less than you. Uh, mm. As And that's, I think it's not true you'll be credit you and but also what is implied within that is that you can outwork valid criticism mm-hmm. which i think is wrong i think like adolf hitler was very active you know and like to go it's only people doing less than me that are criticizing me is not at all a good way to dismiss what he was doing i'm not familiar with this concept so can you explain what so you mean so there's, there's an idea which okay i'll I'll, I'll, I'll steal man it. and the way that i think it can be healthily used okay. is you start posting something on social media. You've never done this before. Mm. And you get two comments from your uncle and your bully. They're like, this is dumb. You shouldn't be doing this, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that they're just haters and, and some mental way to dismiss them as they're doing less. They want to hold you back. You're, they're the crab that sees you making a jump for the lid and they want to pull you down so that they feel better about themselves. Mm. I think that's, that's how it can be used in a way that is healthy and perhaps even true. Mm. Uh, psychologically speaking. But I've seen it used a lot by, I've, I've seen people use the term haters to dismiss criticism. And I think that people, by and large, are not nearly reflective enough on the ways in which they deserve to be criticized, mm-hmm. particularly from a uh, moral perspective. And I, yeah, just this idea that, you know, they're haters, dismiss them, I think is stupid. Though, of course, there's times when that You have to do it, but it's not because they're haters. It's because what they're saying isn't true. And in that particular sense is motivated by jealousy, but it's not a one-to-one correlation of I am receiving criticism. Therefore, it is coming from beneath me. Therefore, I can dismiss it. Well, the problem is that cognitive
3: dissonance makes you translate their criticism as unfair criticism, Mm -hmm. basically. So if your number one goal in life is to be a billionaire and someone gives you criticism, you're doing it unethically but if you were to take their criticism, then your path to billionaire would be slowed. Mm-hmm. Your brain is going to recognize your number one goal in life is this billionaire path and then do you the favor of twisting the criticism so that it's unfair or inaccurate. Yes. So the problem, it's it's not that people hear the criticism and go, I'm going to ignore that even though I think it makes sense. It's that their brain
2: does them the quote unquote favor of warping the criticism so that it's invalid. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, ideally what you would like, which is tough to do because it needs to be done on a one-off basis, is to receive criticism in a way that didn't allow it to uh, destroy your life but take it as a serious consideration and then, of course, have some kind of heuristic that is a little bit more nuanced up front, which is like – you know, guy standing on top of the shoebox screaming about the apocalypse who tells me that I'm a lizard in in, mm-hmm. <laughs> in white skin. Maybe don't need to reflect on that one too deep. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I do though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, who knows? Depends how much of you is a lizard. <laughs> depends on if you still have that cold-blooded and yeah. your tail of course, falls I mean, off. If David Icke is right, then that's yes. not an invalid criticism sure. to some part
3: of the population.
2: Yes, but uh, no, just saw that. And it wasn't just from, from him, but I, I'd seen that. It's, it's a, like a popular influencer thing to say and I think because it obviously uh is comfort to the ego when people receive criticism of some kind which is uh, whatever way I can dismiss this and and make me moral right and okay. yeah I mean
3: I I think the bigger thing that I don't know how to crack is people will do all any mental gymnastics possible to not stop themselves from doing the things they want to do mm-hmm. so Yeah, I mean, you see it all the time. People marketing things that are shitty products or scamming their fans, taking people that love them and basically burning that goodwill just to steal money from them Mm -hmm. and then have a hundred reasons why that's not what they did. Yep. So I don't know what the solution to that is, but that's the most common thing I see is people go, I already know what outcome I need to believe Mm -hmm.
2: and I'll do anything to believe it here. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, it's all that. I don't have a ton this week. I'll go through it quickly. Sure. This this is just a different way of describing I think what we've talked about before. This is not totally novel, but the book that I'm reading, the Last Psychiatrist, um, he talks about wanting versus enjoyment,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, makes the point that our society has been instructed how to want, mm-hmm. but not really how to enjoy. So we are commercials, and if we look at you know what we like, we we understand how to desire things very, mm-hmm. very well. And we are given constant options and we feel that we are sovereign human beings because we get to decide what we want. You know, what? like I, I like that, but not, I want, or sorry, not like, I want that, but not that. And we confound liking. We say, I like that. But what we lose track of is that we don't actually like any of these things. They yeah. don't, we don't enjoy them. We don't, yeah, yeah. you know. So if you, uh, I thought that that was a really interesting point that I, and I often, layer those words on top of one another i'll be like i'll i'll mean i want i'll say i'll like i like and that's not what i mean so i'm mm-hmm. going to try to be more uh specific about wanting versus enjoying and as i just ran through the exercise last night i was like oh my god there's a lot of stuff i want to do i was like Le- league of legends is a want <laughs> 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 on rare occasions there's enjoyment last two last days, night it's was been great so good last night was great it's been so good yes. last two days when somebody uh essentially if you haven't played League of Legends there's always some kind of way to signal to the other player that you're like stunting on them. So there's emotes in this game and we had some emoters early in the matches last night that then got stomped. That was deeply enjoyable. <laughs> I actually think, I think League of Legends is less comparable to consumerism and more comparable to gambling. Yeah. Yeah. Well gambling is a great example of want versus joy, which is like I want to continue. I do not enjoy this process yeah. at all. It's miserable. Uh And so, yeah, we haven't been instructed to focus on enjoyment nor to learn how to enjoy the things that we have, you know, because those messages don't earn any money or lead to any sort of consumerism.
3: Yeah. That ties pretty to to something I I wanted to bring up today. I found a headline that I thought was interesting. 64% of the U.S. is living paycheck to paycheck. And at first, I thought that was wild. Because when I think of paycheck to paycheck, I think of you're trying so hard to make ends meet. You can barely afford food. You have, you know, you and a significant other and six kids in a one-bedroom apartment. You know what I mean? I picture a very poverty stricken hardworking, hard-working, nothing-you-can-do-about-it paycheck-to-paycheck life. And then I was I was like, as always, I was like, oh, let me read about the report and read in the details and stuff. Uh, among people who earn six figures, 48% said they live paycheck-to-paycheck paycheck in the U.S., yeah. which is pretty interesting because I think some of those are Single family earners, where maybe the significant other doesn't earn anything, and you do have four kids, and so to support the six of you on a hundred grand, it is tight. But I'm pretty confident that others are just bad with money, and that's maybe influenced anecdotally. But I know people who lived paycheck to paycheck who had BMWs in Vegas. This is very common in Vegas, or uh, people who have the newest iPhone every single year, but they're paycheck to paycheck, Mm -hmm. and they will have credit card debt, not pay it (laughs) off. And then they live paycheck to paycheck, not realizing the credit card debt grows. Yeah. So they'll they like buy something fancy on their credit card, get the debt, then their earning can, can pay for their rent and their food and stuff. And so they just keep doing that, ignoring the ballooning debt. And it just made me think there's two categories of paycheck to paycheck in the US. There's people trying really hard to make ends meet who couldn't possibly do any better. And then there's people who are just trying to keep up with the Joneses. Mm. And I don't know what the solution is. But when we talk about UBI or some sort of wealth redistribution, I think we want to help the people in the first category who are genuinely just struggling to feed their family. But if they have a Rolex that they bought three years ago and they're not willing to sell it to pay off their credit card, something internal has to change. Or else when they get more money, they're just going to still end up Paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. And that you see that by the people that end up making six figures a year and are still paycheck to paycheck, which mm-hmm. is remarkable to me.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously thinking in the terms that I just talked about, but yeah, these are people well instructed in how to want or and, you know, how to desire more. I'm reminded of Vegas just because the examples that you gave where you would have uh, bus boys and bottle girls who would make anywhere from like 75 to 150, sometimes more if they were at the big clubs with tips. Uh, a lot of it could be, well, not at the time we were there, but even in previous years before they unionized and stuff, it was under the table. So they weren't paying all the taxes on the mm-hmm. tips and were truly paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. Now, every month it was like a new $3,000 couch or a new whatever. But uh, yeah, we saw I think it happens. some of the worst financial decision make. I mean, maybe there's other I think cities. it's not Vegas specific is yeah. what I'm
3: saying. I think it's LA, New York, Miami. I think it's happening all over the place because according to this, 48% of people that make six figures in the
2: US feel like they're paycheck to paycheck. You know, what's crazy is Which that- Which is remarkable. Yeah. And if, I guess if you look at the wanting enjoyment dichotomy, part of the reason that that's occurring is because we now have not just television and billboard ads, but social media where people pretend to be enjoying expensive things- mm-hmm. And I've been, I've been to the club. I've been to that table. They're not happy. They're not enjoying the situation. They are bored as hell. And then they take out their phones, and then they're super happy. And then they put the phone away. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're miserable. I've been on, I've been <laughs> on boat parties like that where everybody's just hang, literally you
3: mean everybody's every just boat party. sitting, sitting <laughs> and talking. Like yeah. And it's so, like it's fine. You can have fun sitting and talking with friends. But they're sitting and talking, and then a camera comes out, yeah. and all of a sudden everybody's jumping up and down, dancing. It's,
2: this isn't what was happening before the camera yeah. was out. So, and again, he he makes subtle points, but this is you're reminding me what the book is about is that the only way that we because we do not know how to enjoy, we, the closest proximity we can go is to appear to be enjoying things for the benefit of other people. And so his, sort of his belief is that uh, narcissism is like the diagnosis of the day. It informs everything, almost to the degree that calling anyone a narcissist is redundant because we've all become narcissists. Well, think about what that means for the narcissist. <laughs> yeah. If you're diagnosable narcissist in a society of narcissists, that's wild. Yeah, um, but that we all view ourselves, you know, uh, primarily through the lens of an audience, Uh, and that's, we, and I, and I've felt some of this and can relate to it more having done, um, psychedelics since I first started reading this guy. I didn't really get it when I first Mm -hmm. started reading it. But sometimes when you're on psychedelics, you tap into a part of yourself that you haven't felt. You're like, oh, that's what feeling feels like. That's like, this is what enjoyment feels like. Not like thinking about it Mm -hmm. or like reflecting that other people would be really jealous of this situation or thinking that this means you're a cool guy. It's like there's warmth and, uh cockles of my heart which is yeah and i count myself in the group of people that the primary way that we know to enjoy things quote unquote is by what they mean and say about us and Mm -hmm. not of a firsthand experience of like joy warmth smiles etc yeah yeah and i
3: also i don't know how accurate it is but i was reading just anecdotal stories of people working in wealthy, you know, private plane type industries talking about the new rich versus the wealthy. And I say, other like the wealthy just wear sweats and the new rich are the ones with all the designer stuff. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that's what contributes is that the people, like people who don't have the money are stretching to buy the $5,000 bag. Mm -hmm. And so when they get into debt, like to me from the outside, I think people, especially I'm, I swing too hard the other way. I'll I'll admit my bias. I hate debt. I hate credit card debt. If I had five grand of credit card debt, $1,000 in the bank and a $2000 bag I would just sell the bag instantly mm-hmm. to pay off the credit card debt but I think it's almost the opposite of like people need the bag they think to make it seem like they're doing mm-hmm. okay so they let the 5000 credit card debt get worse yeah. get worse every single month cuz the interest rate is insane and then I don't know I knew someone who had 5 grand in the bank and 5 grand in credit card debt and didn't pay it off cuz they said they they needed the cash to feel safe, not realizing the <laughs> yeah. cash isn't growing and the debt is growing. And so you should take 400 or four hundred or $4,500 and pay off the credit card yeah, yeah. and just have, have barely enough cash and then don't feel safe and then don't spend money on shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And instead they're like, I have five grand, so I, I, don't, I can buy a $200 no vacation. Dinner. I can buy $200. Yeah. like, No, you can't. You cannot. You have no money. You're net neutral. It's okay. Take all the cash, pay off the debt, yeah. go to a supermarket, cook for yourself, like slowly grow an actual positive Uh, savings and then go get the $200 dinner if you still want to. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's this weird thing where people don't understand their own net worth. And I also think that's why scammers and business scammers can trick people by saying that they're multimillionaires when what that means is that they had a, a multimillion dollar revenue year. And really with costs and taxes and all that, they didn't make anywhere close to that. And they don't have millions of dollars. They're not multimillionaires by the actual definition, but no one or not knowing, so many people don't really understand how net worth works with debt and all that, that it's easy to then have someone who's not successful pretend to be successful because the consumers don't, they don't know how to assess if the person's lying or not. And so then you have all these fake scammers. Some people
2: fake it till they make it. And meaning, like, meaning those guys that, you know, I run a seven-figure business, which is like, you have one million of revenue and 1.1 million of (laughs) losses because you're running ads. Some people say, I have a
3: million dollar business because one month they made... $83,000 $83,000 of revenue. Of revenue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then they they, and they multiply by 12. Exactly. It's yeah. the best month they've ever had. Yeah. So if, if people don't know, this is how internet marketers market. They have the best month they ever had. They pretend they make it every month. They claim that means they have a million dollar business, even though it means it's a million of revenue. And then with expenses and taxes, well then, and then there's they even they themselves another level, making, which is
2: they they go, what if I sold this business if it were right. making a so million? now it's multiple. an eight-figure business. So and now you have a business that did one month or even one day.
3: This it's, isn't fake. <laughs> I, I know people who claim that they have multi-million-dollar businesses yeah, yeah, yeah. or eight-figure businesses who are, are taking home nothing, mm-hmm. but they just use funny math to make that claim. Yeah. And then they then they sell how to make a business to other people, and then other people don't know how to assess the math and so they go oh, this person has an eight-figure business they must be good I'll pay them to learn from them
2: mm-hmm. yeah we've you mentioned scam I, I wanted to ask about this and I almost texted because I've now gotten three of these where it's like oh boy have you you haven't gotten these? Okay, I don't know so what you're two about. came in on WhatsApp. It's like an attractive Asian girl. Like, hi, is this John from the Siam Music Department? Like, I wanted to connect. How do you know it's an attractive Asian girl? Oh, because WhatsApp has WhatsApp. a face. WhatsApp. Got it. Um, no, I haven't gotten any of these. And then I got another one yesterday. That was a was a message on my just regular number. I totally meant to see you before we left, and somehow the time got away from me. I'm so bummed. Next, next time I'm out of here, let's make hard plans. Love you, XOX. Mm. Like, have you considered stop buying porn with your real phone number (laughs) with my credit card information that might help (laughs) so i wanted to ask should i should i reply back and be like in all seriousness please tell me how this scam works like how in god's name do you convince me to give you anything based off this like well a lot of scams should target the elderly i don't know if that's the case with this but a lot of i meant to see you before this and i've gotten a couple of these like hey are you going to julia's party tonight like they, they feel targeted towards my demographic. I have no idea where they go, but I, I obviously the psychology is somebody is so excited to see that a girl may, might want to meet up with them, that they're willing to believe that even if they're the wrong person, they still will. And then I guess they're like, send me, and this is what I thought, like send me Uber money or something so I can come see you. I, I have know. no idea. Should I ask? I'm afraid sure. to respond. I didn't want to put myself like on the radar as someone to continue. Well, to you do will crap, absolutely you know? be inviting
3: more chaos into your life. That is how the Tinder scam goes, to, which I've never understood. The Tinder scam on a small level, not like Tinder swindler level, is you match with someone, you message, and then they go, "Oh, I, I don't I'd love to see you, but I don't have cab money." And then you Venmo mm-hmm. them cab money, which I, I've I've no, I've always wondered how that doesn't translate to the person just going, "No problem, I'll send you an Uber." Yeah you know, like, hey, no problem. I'll, what's your address? I'll send you an Uber. And then the scam falls apart because what you want <laughs> is the cash.
2: I guess so it's never with understood. all these scams, it's volume. It's clearly volume. It's, yeah. it's it's thoughtless volume. And I they get very low response, I think. And then one person sends, but... Did you watch the Tindler Swindler? The Tindler Swindler? The Tindler no. Swindler? <laughs> no.
3: I want to watch it. I, I kind of want to make a video about it if there is one. Mm-hmm. I find it fascinating that women would take out $200,000 loans to send to a man that is
2: allegedly rich but in trouble. I watched the opening moments of it, and I do have to say the stories that the women were telling were very flattering to themselves. Like, you know, I I only want a boyfriend. I only want this. So when he said he was only in town for a day to meet him at the Four Seasons, I went. It's like, hold on. You want a boyfriend, remember? <laughs> like, why are you going to see a guy who isn't in town? Like that isn't that obvious? And yeah. I think I think there's uh there's some storytelling about who they are, what they want, et cetera. And I think obviously what drove it a lot was dollar signs in mm-hmm. the eye of like, he's at the four seasons, he's this. But yeah, there was a Uh, the self descriptions did not then match the subsequent behavior just in the first 15 minutes of what I saw. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if there's a video there. I just find it fascinating
3: how, what are the psychological tricks that this guy used to get women who didn't have 200 grand lying around to go to a bank, take it out in a loan in their name to immediately send it to this guy. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating to me. I don't know the answer because I've only seen a couple of clips on YouTube so far and maybe that's not how it happened. You know, maybe it was, over time or via i don't know because I haven't, I haven't watched it yet but okay. i might make a video on it yeah uh speaking of videos if people like charlie Hoopert and charisma on command he's back for one video only potentially special this announcement. this monday <laughs> norm mcdonald 11 a.m pacific time strap in charlie Hooper's voice on charisma on command once again very exciting one
2: final <laughs> no uh so yeah, just one I, final fight. That's why I don't Yeah, that, that's why I don't have a ton this week. I was I was doing the norm.
0: Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com slash build. That's Chime.com slash build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime credit builder visa credit cards issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA members FDIC. Out of network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.
3: Speaking of fights, did you know Conor sold Proper 12? No. I didn't know this either. It's amazing. So Conor McGregor made Proper 12. It's named so that you'll think that it's been aged for 12 years. But really, it's just based on a neighborhood that he's from, I think, or something. Well, well marketed. It's three-year-old. Well, by well marketed, you mean it's purposefully a trick. (laughs) (laughs) It's not because it's technically a thing,
2: but I understand. Yeah, it it plays off the expectation of McCollin, 15, McCollin, whatever. Yeah. Yeah.
3: It's not good, in my opinion. I, I don't know if other people had it. I bought it. It's tasted terrible. The, he made like $100 million personally off selling it. The company was valued at $600 million in the latest sale. Wow. He and the three founders had already sold half of it. So that's three, $300 million, And there's three founders. So I'm assuming he got a third of the $300 million. That's incredible for a bad product. And it only happened because for about two years, he was good at fighting in the MMA. He's been he has been so good at monetizing a very brief window of excellence. Mm-hmm. I just I just thought it was incredible that he made a hundred million dollars selling a pretty. Did he have a single title defense. Product. He uh, beat Aldo he beat he beat Aldo then he went up and beat Eddie, Eddie Alvarez, which was the easiest
2: guy to beat in the one fifty five division I think in the last five years. Yeah, I don't think there's ever been an easier champ than, than Eddie, who by the way was done after that went to Bellator. Like, oh, let's look it up. I don't know if he ever had a successful. I'll know the answer to this Wild, soon. Wild, man. I mean, I, I, I loved it while it was happening, and, I'll, and I always... He was excellent. It was, it was a brief it window of excellence. when he fought, man. It felt... You, I, you wanted to believe that the guy could predict the future, and he was just... You wanted to believe that you were witnessing uh, history live, the greatest to ever do it, the guy that could call his shot, see it from a mile away. No, he never defended, as far as I can tell. He yeah. beat Jose... Then he lost to Nate, different weight class,
3: beat Nate, not for the belt, beat Eddie Alvarez for the belt, lost to Habib for the belt, beat Cerrone for not a belt, and then lost to Dustin twice. Yeah. So he had an incredible run. And then it's been
2: pretty bad. Won the belt. Yeah. Then lost one, won a second belt. Yeah. And didn't defend either of them. Maybe he'll come back, but he, honestly, the amount of money he stands to make in MMA, at this point, it pales in comparison. Only if he goes on, only if he becomes champ again. Is, is it worth it for him for whatever reputational boost it'll him but yeah the guy's got so much money
3: i was just thinking if i was an athlete that's the guy to study first again like such a brief window mm-hmm. of excellence compared to some
2: of the other messy lebron if we did well you know what i, I actually think i could do a, good a lot breakdown of money it. if we did these kind of business breakdowns i actually think you could do it because the first piece that i think he tapped into was uh be the biggest fish in a small pond meaning he took ireland with him you know what mm-hmm. i mean and he just like he he Dominated that and moved to like larger and larger niches. I think he did a lot of stuff that, from a brand building character, uh, people have tried to copy. Yeah. And Colby's seen some success. If you guys don't know, where Colby's a, a UFC fighter who just fought and has purposely, at one point in his career, decided that he was to become a shit talking heel. Like he was not like this, and then he comes yeah. out, he's got a Donald Trump hat, and he's he's purposely trying to be inflammatory well, in order to sell.
3: Connor also took advantage of what I call the Scott Adams effect, which is make a bunch of predictions and look yeah. like a genius when yeah. some of them come true. And when some of
2: them don't come true, just don't ever talk about those again. Yeah. Well, this is, this is what Agora did with their, uh, it's not Oh exactly. yeah. Talk about this. Talk about this. So, so Agora, they do uh, financial advice newsletters. Really what they are is copywriters who will dive into anything, but they do finances because nobody knows how to actually consistently win <laughs> with the stock market. Yep. So uh, what you can do is you take an email list got 100 people and you send half of the people the stock's going to go up and you send the other half it's going to go down one of those will be wrong but one will be right and when you run that process and you take the 50 and you cut it in half again half get a new stock right up half get a new stock down when you do that process follow up when you the, the half that you got it right with you follow up with a second
3: prediction yeah and then half of them you were right with, yeah. and then you follow right. that half yes. up with a third prediction. So now 12
2: or 13 people have seen you get it right three times. And think you're genius. They think you're a genius, and they will buy <laughs> the product, the service, the whatever. And the other people, by the way, you're just email. Like, what's the cost there? You're just an email in their inbox at this point. Like, oh, well, You got one, and some of them is like, oh, he went 50-50. You know, maybe, maybe they're interested. Uh, but yes, the costs of getting a prediction wrong are so low in our society, but the benefits to hitting a streak of two or three, which can happen from dumb luck, is so high that it's like, yeah, call your shot. Like if you're a UFC fighter and you're up and coming and you know, you got power to knock them out, predict a knockout in the first. And by the way, on a smaller podcast, predict a knockout in the second. (laughs) <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, so like yeah, yeah. cover your bases because <laughs> this is what connor did like yeah. he he with, yeah, yeah, with yeah. a couple of the chat ones he had he had different I you know, know he had different i saw him. it's gonna be the first or the second and then it was definitely the first he had he had a couple different uh predictions around these things yeah. but people will play and replay the one that gets it right you can't do this too thin right you can't you can't spread it too thin but you at least get like at least a round difference yeah no if you know you're a jiu-jitsu guy I'm going to choke him out.
3: Just yeah. make your prediction. I, yeah. I don't know how this ports to other people who aren't MMA fighters, but I just think that was Connor. And Scott Adams said the same thing. He's made predictions about Trump that were incredibly accurate and then others that were
2: completely inaccurate. Well, no, and, it does. For political pundits, it, it helps. I mean, to be clear, for us, and this happened with with our prediction of Donald Trump, it's just like, you got nothing to lose. There also just is throw no, it out there. You just become a channel that gets it wrong. There's no, well, I don't know about, no. And by the way, there was a video where I thought he wasn't going to win and towards the end because it looks like it was going bad and I make a video like how he screwed it up got way fewer views and nobody cares about that video mm-hmm. so it's like the same principle is in action i don't know who's going to be the president i can guess i can yeah. take as educated a guess as anybody and i can analyze it from a perspective that few people do but that doesn't mean it's the right perspective well, you got two in a row
3: so if you get one more you're if gonna I get one like more i'm, you got,
2: I'm you got trump and you got biden so yeah, if you yeah. get
3: 2024 correct
2: <laughs> You're going to get a lot of money from politicians. No, unfortunately, uh, that's just <laughs> not true. But yeah, so it, there's there's benefit to to doing that. Uh, what's the cost? It pollutes the information commons.
3: <laughs> worse for the world. It's, <laughs> it's worse blah, for blah, the blah. world.
2: We can't tell the good predictions from the bad ones. <laughs> and we ding people that have good processes for making predictions but happen to get one wrong, as opposed to people who have crappy processes but... Hit the right one. There's lots of issues for the world with that. But personally, <laughs> it's a great call. Anything else you Uh, Nothing really. I mean, the one
3: thing I'll say, Bryce Mitchell looks like an upcoming star, if anyone likes the UFC. He's from Arkansas, loves Jesus, donated half his fight purse to a foundation for sick kids in Arkansas. I feel like if he keeps winning, he's undefeated right now. He's going to be a huge draw for Christian UFC fans, of which I think there are a lot. So mm-hmm.
2: that's my... That's my prediction for next superstar. If he keeps doing well, Christian, I, I I haven't seen a big. I guess there are. It's just such a different universe where these uh, mega churches live, and they mm-hmm. have these superstar pastors whose names I haven't heard of. So at, at first, I was going to disagree with you. I was like, I don't know anybody who's like that. But of course, there's a whole no. The the, the mega section, church. Yeah, the, the mega pastors yeah, yeah. <laughs> have
3: their own private jets and their giant mansions. I think there's a huge market of mm-hmm. of devoutly Christian people who. Feel a deep connection immediately with people who share similar devoutness to their faith. Yeah, and this guy dominated the fight. Immediately went over to the guy and and they prayed together in the ring mm-hmm. because the other guy was uh, same religion. And then in his speech, he's just thank you to Jesus, my Lord and Savior. I donated half my money from this fight, which wasn't a ton of money for him. you know what I mean like he's not making seven figures a fight. He took half of it and gave it to sick kids in Arkansas. I went, this guy. It's also 14 and 0, 15 and 0. If he keeps going. He's going to have a he's going to be a giant star. I don't know, man. I don't know how much people like the good guy. I'll be honest. I think religion, I think religion ties people together in, in a major way.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I I didn't watch it, so I don't I didn't see if he has that that charisma factor, but I'll keep an eye out. Uh I mentioned this before very briefly. Uh setting the speed limit at 25 miles an hour on the highway and then arresting whoever you want that drives past it. Mm-hmm. The Ukraine thing, there was a New York Times article that kind of called it out, but not in uh, angrily, kind of like, well, this is what has to be done, with the mis and disinformation around Ukraine, meaning like the ghost of Kiev fighter jet, or the Snake Island people that actually weren't killed but were taken hostage. The uh, the propaganda, and I won't even say propaganda, the falsehoods, the demonstrably false things that people agree are false. That Sorry, were- is that... Is that- Clear now that this, they think they, that Snake they, Island people definitely got were taken, taken captive? Yeah, yeah, That's taken not captive. controversial? I don't... Well, dude, I'm somebody out there. I don't know. But it seems to widely Mainstream accepted Yes, true. mainstream okay. accepted. New York Times accepted. Uh, that, But there's no uh, misinformation flag for stories about it. Mm-hmm. But if it were COVID-related... Point being, we, we have our people at Twitter and whatever, and this is fine. They're just... I wish their terms of service just said we will uh, write whatever we want on your tweet for any reason at all. Uh, it has nothing to do with whether it's true or not. Mm-hmm. We don't care if it's true or false. We just care that it <laughs> that it aligns with the direction we want to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to you know we reserve the right for in the cases of misinformation for the public and community good. It's like no, you guys don't care. <laughs> you you have uh, Russian propaganda's flag. Ukrainian propaganda is not. We get it. But yeah, I and there. They're allowed to. They're a private company. I just don't like the pretense of yeah. uh, just be Slate Magazine or Vox. Just have a perspective and an angle and cut out everything that doesn't agree. Now, they're they're not as narrow as Slate or Vox because they do have some voices that disagree. But I think that the perception of them as an open and free conversation is... Uh, I, I don't like it. Yeah.
3: Well, I thought about this a little bit because that because we've talked so much about this I, I was wondering can I get to quote-unquote a truth about Ukraine and Russia and you really just have to put your faith in whoever's reporting because I watched a video I was like oh, I'll go to direct footage well the direct footage is all in Russian and Ukraine so like <laughs> I was watching a Russian soldier who was captured talk about the propaganda that he had received in Russia and how it was He realized now, after being captured, so false Mm -hmm. that there weren't Nazis here, that there wasn't a fascist regime, and I was like, "Oh wow, this is so interesting." And I went, "Wait, I don't speak Russian. I'm literally just trusting that these subtitles are accurate." One guy, yeah. No, no. I was just like, I have no, I can't, uh, I can't verify if this is a Russian soldier, if this is what he's saying in the subtitles. Like, it's just not possible to do. And so I didn't. I don't know what the answer is at that point you just go with well it seems like mainstream consensus or you just go i can't possibly know anything about anything or have an opinion about anything uh i don't know but but the attempt to try to understand it better i realized was futile Mm -hmm. that all i could do was just accept somebody's version of it or accept that i don't know anything about it yeah i think I don't
2: know anything about is where I'm going to sit, <laughs>
3: but you can, well, this, I mean, people often, when you say that, are like, that's irresponsible. You have oh, yeah, to that, be a that's when citizen. I, we've we've talked about that. it. That's
2: when I destroy them <laughs> <laughs> and we get into epistemology and, and you know, how do they know the things that they know? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they have their trusted news source. Okay, what about people in North Korea? Well, it's different. Well, okay, your process is exactly the same as theirs. Well, this is, is my my attempt to go past the trust You go to resource. Russia, did you talk to people there? Like, it's like, well, they can't get out. It's like, have you been to Russia? Do you, have you left your bubble that you could leave theoretically, but never actually have? Um, no, I think, yeah, I, I will uh, primarily concern myself, I think, with things that I, again, it's not perfect. Have reason to believe are not as deeply muddied waters like water in Africa, which seems to be where I've gone widely agreed upon to a exist, <laughs> b add struggle from poverty, and c have humans that need fresh water in the same way that that I do. Also, more actionable. You're not going to go pick up a rifle and go to Ukraine to fight on the front no, lines. But I could send you money. Will- I could send money, and I've chosen not to uh, because I don't. I don't feel as clear in knowing what's good and what's bad well also wouldn't pass your effective altruism test just in terms of impact per
3: dollar yeah 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 you're gonna you're gonna do more impact per dollar elsewhere even though this is
2: front of mind right now mm-hmm. so there's a lot of reasons but yeah no but I could I could send money I could do that kind of thing anything else nope just just circled back
3: to wow it's really hard I, I'm guess I'm it's interesting to see how strongly people feel they do understand what's going on based on my attempts to understand and not... Like, I read there was three assassination attempts on the president of Ukraine's life. And I how could I possibly know if that's true or not? I can't check that. I don't know the guy. I can't... Like, who who can read that and then
2: feel confident that that's what happened? Everybody can. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I,
3: <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand.
2: Literally... Only crazy people can't read that and not know to a certainty. Well, that's it. That I kind of feel like happened. a crazy person. I was like, I don't know. I, I mean, this could have happened for sure. sure. It may have. Yeah, yeah.
3: I'm not saying it didn't. Just to be clear, I was just, I just thought to myself how helpless I am to verify this.
2: You, uh, you don't know what's happening, and you have no power over it, which is just that's the truth. So, welcome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't mind that so much. It was.
3: It's more just the immense amount of uh, flack
2: that you get for that belief. I don't think, yeah. Only if you enter into online communities of people that think it is their uh, purpose and business to write via text, not even video, to other people about how silly and dumb they are. Like, it's actually like anybody's ever approached you and cared in your own life. That's that's, perhaps the biggest distinction is that like, I thought your parents did. Oh, but, dude, I love, we just, me and my dad, it's just us. <laughs> it's just what we do. It's, uh, he He takes, says whatever the New York Times says is true, and I tell him that that's a bad way of getting information. And we've had that argument over Kyle Rittenhouse, and now Ukraine, and now this, and and then he, it usually ends with him saying, well, then you are truly lost. <laughs> that's, that's when I know I've won. <laughs> All right, let's uh, go to questions. Nice. I wonder how many times we'll see that in the comments. Now going forward. <laughs>
3: oh, then you are Charlie, true. you are truly lost. <laughs> Charlie, if you believe that we shouldn't eat animal meat, you are truly, you lost. Are truly
4: lost. All right, we've got one. Um, so I was in a dark place a few years ago and had a brush with suicide. This is a totally different question than last week. Uh, personally, I'm glad I didn't do it. Coming to terms with my life in a wheelchair was hard, and letting go of my previous identity and embracing my new normal as a disabled person was excruciating. But with all the personal growth I've been through, I wouldn't change it. However, while I was rehabbing, I saw some people with severe brain injuries and their quality of life seemed very low, almost being kept alive for the sake of it. It would be hard to tell if they were happy, but some certainly looked like they weren't. In this situation, do you think euthanasia is immoral? And if you can't choose death yourself, but you're stuck in a seemingly hopeless situation, who should be the one who
2: chooses? I think that we have a weirdness with death that uh, you should absolutely be able to check out. I think we talked about this.
3: Yeah, I think we talked about this last week. There, there just should be. Yeah, this I think kind of, uh, this was.
2: Go ahead, Justin. This was kind of like a res-
4: jumping off of uh, what yeah. you guys had said last week. Right.
3: Well, I think there should be bumpers around it. I think, I think uh, the idea that there are circumstances under which one should be able to opt out of living makes total sense to me. I'm 120 years old. Every day is excruciating pain, and it's never going to end. I don't want to do this anymore. Like, yeah, I think that you should just be able to say, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Who should be able to Every decide? Every person has the ability on a whim to do that. I don't like just because of how often things can seem bleak and then pass. And, you know, maybe a couple years later through personal work or therapy or whatever, you come out the other side really gr- grateful you didn't do it. I think th- that's really real. So I don't want to just say anyone who wants to can at any moment euthanize themselves but i think there is somewhere there's a set of guidelines that i haven't written because i'm not in charge of actually coming up with this policy that i would sit down and thoughtfully write to make this an option that was available but safeguarded
2: so that it was happening for only certain people Mm -hmm. and who should get to decide uh well i think we have like these sorts of processes in place for DNRs, do not resuscitates, and, and all of this other kind of stuff. So I would say like similar legal paperwork, you could decide to have a next of kin who is in charge of medical decisions. Uh, and I do think that we should probably, given that this is a thing, just simple conversations of like, yeah, what would you like me to do in XYZ circumstances, you know, about how long, what if I perceive that you're in pain, but we don't know um, just to, to have that clear. But yeah, I think that we could, we'd want to err on the side of safety, meaning like, you know, can these people come back? Those sorts of things. But, uh, I do think that there should be some sort of legal process by which you can designate, Mm -hmm. uh, a person to make that decision on your behalf. So, yeah. The
3: specifics of which we do not have written down because we have not been asked to do that yet. When the U S government comes a call in, We'll get the specifics.
4: Next is, do you think it's a good thing to look at life by comparing yourself to others? I personally find myself feeling better when I compare myself to people less fortunate (laughs) than me. For example, with the recent events in Ukraine, I felt thankful yep. that I didn't live in a country at war, or when I look at my job, I feel bad that I'm slightly underpaid compared to average people in my industry, but I also feel better when I remind myself I'm making much more money than the average people or person my age because I work in technology. Mm-hmm. It's probably a relatively common way of thinking if people were 100% honest about it, but something feels wrong about deriving good feelings from comparing yourself to people in worse situations. Any Let's- thoughts?
3: uh uh, i don't know if it feels wrong there's a lot of gratitude exercises that are about that basically that say culturally at least in the u.s you are trained to look to the right of the bell curve and envy the people there instead of looking to the left and being incredibly grateful that you aren't starving to death on the streets in india or something so i don't know i don't think that's an unhealthy thing to do is to reorient
2: yourself to how fortunate you are yes I agree. I think that probably what you would love to have is gratitude that is independent of comparison and, you know, where you're just like, this feels great, or I'm just so happy, or I feel wonderful. But to your point, as an exercise, if you look left, I actually think that's a really, I think that's a good thing. Well, here's why I would say if you can opt out of comparison, that's going to be the best case scenario.
3: But most people are bought into a system that orients you to the right of the bell curve so they're already playing the game mm-hmm. half of the way and so if you are one of those people then you may as well look to the left as well because what you're doing at by just looking to the right is you have a disoriented
2: view of where you are in the world yeah and, it, and it's sometimes uh, it's it's of course in comparison that you start to then see the things that you do have they, they stand out in sharp relief in in a bigger way so yeah i don't think it's a horrible thing
3: I mean, honestly, everything. Even if you, even if you don't compare to other people, there's that guy <laughs> Tony Robbins loves, who's, you know, every day above ground is a yeah, great yeah. day. Well, that's in comparison to being dead. <laughs> His gratitude is derived from the fact that he isn't currently dead. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if there's
2: no and, and being grateful
3: that you can breathe is in comparison to
2: not breathing, right? No, I think there's experiences of of gratitude of just like you feel. And maybe perhaps it's just positive feeling, but it's a positive feeling without reference to anything else. It's just like, it's not like the sun is shining. It could be raining. It's like the, the feeling of warmth is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it is in, it is present. Well, tense. I guess it I would not, say there, then there's like emotional gratitude and cognitive gratitude. Sure. And I think cognitive gratitude is necessarily like with, I think, I think that's a yeah. fair. And distinction. so if you're going,
3: Oh, you know, at least any, any day where I'm not dead is a great day. Like that's a cognitive gratitude. Yes. And I think maybe As opposed to like an emotional gratitude. Just the grass. Yeah. And yeah. just
2: being like, ah, oh, so nice. Yeah.
3: But yeah, not many people are at the emotional gratitude part. So it's a great stepping stone versus all the people who have an iPhone twelve and you know, clothes and shoes and they ate today and they just look to the right and go, My life is shitty. <laughs> like, yeah, those people would all benefit from looking to the left and recognizing that they're blessed.
4: All right, let's move to Patreon.
3: I'm getting a scam call um, What right do we, got today. we could put it on speakerphone.
4: <laughs> so what do we got on Patreon? Uh, we're going to answer the question, uh, how much masturbation is too much? Um, <laughs> we're going to we're gonna talk about escaping the trap of endless small talk and then first time dater missing red flags.
2: Plus a lot more. We we do a lot of these questions. So if you guys want to see more of that, you want to support the podcast, truly this is our main income stream and it all goes to Justin at least for right now uh, because we haven't hit that profitability place yet but (laughs) we're still enjoying ourselves so if you guys want to check it out on patreon supports the podcast and you get a lot more content just like this but guided by you guys go ahead do that any dollar amount that you contribute gets you included so appreciate you guys for watching we'll see the rest of you on patreon peace